in my life in the last scenario. Luke 15. We started last week, uh, as I told you, a little uh, short series here on uh, just a few uh, of the uh, parables uh, of Jesus. And we talked last week about uh, the Good Samaritan. And I don't know, this week, I don't know between the Good Samaritan and our passage for this week, uh, which is the uh, most um, well-known, recognized uh, parable. We're going to look this week at the story of the prodigal son. And uh, it's probably, again, uh, these two parables uh, are probably the two most well-known, uh, inside and out of the church. Uh, the, uh, again, both of these are, uh, are stories that even, uh, again, many people who may have never darkened the door of a church uh, know about the Good Samaritan uh, and know about the story of the prodigal son. And again, we said last week that a uh, parable is a story that uh, Christ would tell that, again, we read this story now, uh, some 2,000 years later, and we can identify with everything in it. Uh, it uh, the story still uh, is, uh, is understandable, is relevant uh, to us even today. Uh, then that story that is so relevant uh, and so understandable uh, has to it uh, a higher meaning. Now, that everyone may not grasp. Uh, and that was even part of the purpose that Christ uh, told some of these parables, so that his people, uh, his followers, would uh, understand clearly uh, his message while uh, his enemies may not. And so this story, uh, you, you know the story. I'm just going to paraphrase it for the sake of time. Uh, man has uh, a couple of sons. And one of his sons one day decides that uh, he wants to go ahead uh, and get his uh, inheritance. Um, and uh, he wants to uh, take his inheritance, his part of the inheritance, and he gets it. And he goes off uh, to the big city. Uh, goes off to live his life uh, spending his uh, inheritance uh, the way, living his life the way he chooses to live it. Uh, things go south, and he ends up broke, um, and ends up uh, in a bad situation, and finally uh, realizes, I don't have much left to do, uh, not much else I can do in this situation, uh, but go home. Uh, we all know the story. Uh, I want us to look at it this morning and uh, there's a, again, he told these stories, not just entertainers. Uh, they're there. There's a lesson uh, in this story uh, for you and I today. Uh, again, we have, uh, there's been a lot of debate over the years about this story. And uh, in many ways, with the son, uh, does he represent a lost man? Uh, does he represent a saved man who goes astray? What, you know, a lot of, lot of little uh, big, deep, theological debate for a lot of people, uh, not me. Uh, I, I'm going to stick to the simple. Uh, and we're going to look at uh, this character uh, that we call uh, the prodigal son. 
and so as we look at it, uh, again, uh, several parts to this story that uh, before I think we can get to uh, the real point of the application uh, of the story. One of them uh, is let's talk about what happened for a minute. Uh, I don't think that uh, the story and, and what takes place here uh, is that far um, uh, removed. Uh, it's, not, it's not something we look at and say, oh, that could never happen. Uh, one of our children would never come to us and say, hey, uh, can you go ahead and give me my inheritance now? Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's that big a stretch for us um, even today to imagine uh, something like that happening. Uh, and so this son, uh, that's exactly what he does. But one of the curious things that uh, is, is not part of uh, this story, uh, as Jesus tells it, is why he did that. And that was one of the things that as I look at this story uh, that um, causes me uh, to ponder just a little bit. Exactly what was it that, uh, that, that caused this son uh, to make this decision? As you read this text, uh, and it's about uh, 17, 18 verses long, uh, nothing, we know why he went home. Uh, he went home because he was hungry and miserable. What we don't know is why he left to begin with, because there's no indication uh, that he really had it all that bad at home. Obviously, uh, when we re read the story and we get to, that there's enough inheritance uh, that his half uh, was enough that he could go off uh, on his own and stay gone for some time and, and, and survive. There was enough, uh, the father had enough, that if he gave his son half of it, uh, that he was still okay uh, living on the half that was left. Uh, there was enough, uh, the, the father had enough, uh, that when the son came home, he was able to throw a lavish party uh, welcoming his son home. And so it wasn't like the son was living in poverty. It wasn't like the son was living uh, in, you know, in, in a horrible conditions. Just judging by the way the father acted when his son came home, uh, you, it doesn't seem like the father was uh, that bad a guy. Uh, judging by how the father reacted uh, when the son asked for his half of the inheritance, uh, I said, well, I don't, I, the other thing I don't think is too far for us, uh, too far-fetched for us to imagine uh, is if we read that the son came and said, can I go ahead and have my half of the inheritance, and, and daddy would have punched him in the throat. Uh, you know, I don't think that's, you know, the daddy was a good enough man. He said, okay, go ahead, here you go. Uh, even after doing that, when the son came home, he runs and meets him. So the father, it doesn't appear uh, that there's no real obvious reason, certainly no stated reason here, why the son left. So I'm left this morning uh, to do a little bit of speculate. Now, I'm acknowledging what I'm about to say for the next few minutes is not in the text. That's the whole setup for what I'm about to say. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm telling you I am speculating. What would possess this man to leave what seems like a pretty good setup and go off on his own. 
what would cause him to do that? First of all, as I look at that, it appears that he has a craving that is extreme. He has a craving that is extreme. As I look at this, uh, first of all, notice uh, again, it says he, he has, the Bible says in, uh, in this passage, it says the man has two sons. Uh, beginning in uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, uh, it says he has two sons. Uh, no real distinction between the two sons. But the younger son comes to him and says, Father, give me the portion of goods that belong to me. And he divided them under his living. So, uh, what exactly again uh, caused this young man uh, to do that? I can think of uh, a lot of things, and, and you probably can too. But let me just uh, offer uh, a few ideas to you of why possibly uh, this young man would do what he did. Uh, first of all, uh, there's when we see maybe. Maybe it was destructive arrogance. Maybe the son just was arrogant. He was proud. Uh, he got to the place in life where he thought he knew more than his father. He thought, you know, uh, daddy's got this money and he's not managing it correctly. Uh, if I could get my half, I could go ahead and invest it and I could make way, I could do way more with it. That, that daddy's doing. I'm, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I know I could uh, do better. I, I know what's best for my life. Uh, I, I want to go off and, and do things my way. I want to go off and, and live my life uh, the way uh, that uh, that I want to. Uh, no matter how old, how old his father was, no matter what kind of experience his father had, this young man possibly got the idea. I know more than dad. Yeah. And, and I don't know, but I'm going to kind of think that probably somewhere in that, that there's a few people in here that somewhere along the way in life, you probably got that same idea. Yeah. You probably got that same idea. Yeah. Uh, Daddy, he's, a, he's old fashioned. He don't know. You know, he, he don't know how things work today. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I would say especially just like the story, it was probably the sons in here, maybe more than the daughters. I'm not saying daughters are above it, uh, but, uh, just, you know, that male ego, that male macho, you know, I know more than my father knows. He got, uh, arrogant, uh, and decided, you know, I, I'm going to go off and do things my way. And, and, and I think you know the danger of pride. Uh, pride is a, the Bible tells us uh, that uh, pride comes before the fall. We know the danger uh, of pride. One of the most uh, stirring, moving stories, convicting stories to me uh, about pride is a very old story. Some of you uh, in here are not even old enough to, uh, may not even know what I'm talking about, and you certainly are not old enough to have witnessed it. Many of you uh, remember now, what, 30 years ago, uh, when the Challenger space shuttle uh, exploded 
And uh, we all, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but it's one of those events that, uh, you know, that like, you know, it seems like there's certain events in life that are kind of markers. Uh, where were you when the space shuttle exploded? I could take you to the spot when I first learned. Uh, of, when, of that happening, stood uh, in a little convenience store, a little country store uh, out on Stokes Ferry Road in Salisbury. They had a little small TV there, and uh, Paul and David and myself uh, stood there and, and watched it. And there wasn't a sound made. Uh, a few people come into the store, and, and as they watched it, I mean, everybody just kind of stood there because you knew in that moment that there wasn't just pieces of that space shuttle falling back to the earth, that somewhere in there, there were people falling back to the earth. That was a moment we'll never forget. If you witnessed it, if you were there, you'll never forget it. What you may not know is, I'm sure you're aware that after that happened, obviously there was a massive uh, investigation as to exactly what took place and why uh, the space shuttle uh, exploded uh, the way that it did. And as they began uh, to, to look at it uh, and, and study it, they found out, they realized there were some really serious shortfalls of, uh, of human judgment. There were some people who made some really lousy decisions that cost those people their life. The New York Times put it this way. Simply cut through the, the chase, cut through all the millions of pages of documents relating to it. New York Times put it this way in one sentence. The ultimate cause of the disaster was pride. One sentence summed up everything the government studied for years. The ultimate cause was pride. A group of the top managers uh, in NASA failed to listen to some of the lower workers who said there's a problem. They failed to listen. They failed, they, 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 the, there, were, there were lower grunts in the process who were concerned about the safety and the operational uh, stability and safety uh, of the space shuttle. They were concerned about the very parts that there are reports showing that uh, by now all of us are familiar that have lived that long, familiar with the, the O-ring problem that they talked about. There were people in the, in the system who raised questions about that very piece not being able to do its job of failing in certain circumstances. And yet, the people who were in charge were confident that they knew more than the people who worked on that show every day. The ultimate cause was pride. And there have been many Christians whose life has crashed and burned just like that space shuttle, because they thought they knew more than God. They thought they were smarter than God's Word. They thought 
the principles and the precepts of the Word of God did not apply to them. They were good for somebody else, but they don't apply to me. Pride. I don't know that that's what happened to this young man, but I think it's easy to see that we could... Uh, that that could be one of the problems as it is today. That there are many people who profess Jesus Christ who have ruined their life, who have went off on the deep end, who have went off and strayed from God because their pride told them that they knew more about how to live their life, what decisions they make, than God does. They don't, they, 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 we make decisions, we change jobs, we get married, we move, we make major decisions in our life, never consulting with God, never praying about those decisions, because we know what's best. You can hear a pin hit the floor in here today. Must be all up in somebody's business. Pride. Listen, today that there are people, again, running their life exactly like this example of, of the space show. I know best. I know what I need to do. I know what the. Here's the one that kills me. I've literally had people snake this statement to me. I know what the Bible says, but. Man, that statement just, I don't know about you, but that makes my skin crawl. I know what the Bible says, but. I know what God says, but. Arrogance. Maybe. Let me offer to you a second idea. What would cause this young man to leave the comfort of home and go off on his own? Arrogance. How about dangerous alliances? Maybe this man made some bad friends. Yeah, I don't know. I would to say it. I'm just speculating. I'm telling you that. I think you can see where I'm going, where, where these points make sense. Maybe, just maybe, uh, he made some uh, bad decisions. Paul says at one point, evil communication or companions, where you're going to communicate, you've got to have somebody to communicate with, right? So evil communication or companions, he says, corrupt good manners. How many times have we seen in our life people who had better sense end up in trouble because of the knuckleheads they're hanging around with? Some of you can see the face of your child as I make that statement. We had a young man part of this church years ago. And I told him one day, I said, here's the thing. You can be a good leader. This young man, if he said, let's go, if he would have said, let's burn the church down, there'd been some other kids that went and got gas and matches. I mean, he... They, they wanted to be where he was doing what he was doing. And he just had something about him that other kids just wanted to be around. I said, the problem is, you can be a good leader, or you can be a lousy father. And now, actually, I said, he was actually a good father. Because here, 
again, he, he would follow the people. He, he went directly to the level of the people who were around him. You know, some people have the ability to not, that they kind of bring the crowd up to where they are. Other people tend to sink right down to their level. I don't know, but possibly this young man had some friends who were whispering in his ear, hey, let's go to town. Hey, your daddy, he, well, he, he kind of weird, isn't he? He's kind of old-fashioned, isn't he? You think maybe this young man made friends with the wrong people. The Bible doesn't mention it. Never once says that he had anything about it. I'm just, I'm just speculating. That's my job today. I'm just speculating. What would cause a young man to leave it all and go off in such a way? The danger of bad alliances. Making friends with the wrong people. Now, Typically, when we talk about something like that, we talk about teenagers and peer pressure. But the reality is, teenagers have, they, oh, they have peer pressure, no doubt. But if you've been out of the house lately, you know you, adults, have just as much, if not worse, peer pressure than teenagers. You get around the wrong crowd, you start running with the wrong people, and before you know it, you're caught up, you're tangled up in their mess. You're making bad decisions, you're making uh, bad choices in life, just like a teenager. How many adults have we seen ruin their life because of the people they started hanging around with. Because of the people they associated with. Part of my territory when I was a district manager at the bakery was South Carolina. And if you've been in South Carolina, been around there, uh, back then, that seemed like it, there were a lot of places we'd go in and we'd put in two loaves of bread and it'd be 37 of them poker machines. And every one of them had somebody. They looked like they were, you know, long before we started talking about zombies, that's what they looked like. Figured out right, quick. I mean, it was, they, I, it was right funny to watch them. They, they would stand up to those machines and wouldn't, it was like they wasn't, I don't even know if they were, like they wouldn't even look at the machine. Just slapping buttons and stuffing money. Slapping buttons and stuffing money. I can't tell you how many of our people, how many of my employees we had to get rid of because they'd get tangled up in that with, with their buddies and try to outdo them and win more than them. And the next thing you know, they were stealing from the company to get money to go gamble because they just knew that today was their day and they were going to make the money back and be able to put back what they'd stole. Just one example. Maybe this young man had uh, got around the wrong people. Solomon says in Proverbs, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Maybe this man has some bad friends. 
maybe there were some deceitful appearances. Stories told of Napoleon and his army marching uh, into Egypt, and they were exhausted. Soldiers were wore out. They were thirsty. They, they hadn't had water. It had been a long journey. They were staggering. And finally somebody yelled out, Water! They looked up ahead, and as they looked up ahead, they saw what appeared to be a lake. Beautiful, sparkling water, and they took off running, and they ran, and they kept getting closer, and as they got closer, the lake wasn't, it moved a little further, and they kept moving, and finally they, you know where the stories go, they ran through the water. They finally got to this point where they realized that what they thought was water was a mirage. You've all seen something similar in the summer when the heat's out and you're driving down the road and you look up the road and on the asphalt, the asphalt looks wet. And then when you get there, it's obviously not wet. It's 120 degrees and the sun's shining. Maybe, just maybe, this young man had looked around and standing outside his house one afternoon, standing here outside, daddy's in the house, taking a break, he's worked hard all day. And the young man's looking around and he looks towards town. And you see the lights of the big city. He's heard stories about what goes on in the big city. And he says, man, if I could just get there. If I could just get to the city, well, I could make something of my life. Oh, if I could just get there. If Daddy will give me that money, he'll go ahead and give me my inheritance. Man, I'll go to town, I'll buy me a little convenience store, and I'll sell gas on the corner that will water to everybody on the county. So, he had big dreams. Looked good. He'd sit out there by his house out in the country, people coming back from town, coming back down the road, coming back from the city, and he'd probably meet them out by the road and say, hey, what's it like in the city? Oh, man, you wouldn't believe. Oh, they told him all that went on in the city. They told him all that went on, all the wine, the women, and the song. Man, it sounded good. It looked good. And I just got to get there. And one afternoon, he stood there, and he was standing there, and he kept looking, and he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask Daddy for my inheritance, and I'm going to the city. Because, man, that's where it's at. That's where everything going on. He lay there that night, and he dreamed big dreams. What went on in the city? Next morning he gets up, he sits down over his, well, it wouldn't have been bacon and eggs because Jews didn't eat bacon. Yeah, I don't know what it would have been. Eggs and grits, I reckon. Daddy, I got an idea. I got a proposal for you. And he hit him with it. And lo and behold, his daddy said, okay. I'm finally going to be free of the rules and regulations. I'm not going to have to do things daddy's way. I won't have to tend to the garden no more. I won't have to feed the animals no more. I'm going to town. There's a lot of people today, a lot of God's people, who claim to be believers, 
who are just like this young man. The things of God don't appeal to them anymore. The things of the big city do. The things of the world do. Church doesn't appeal to them anymore. I don't like those old songs. Don't like having somebody stand up and yell at them about how they ought to do better. We've decided we know better. And we'll just go and we'll do it our way. The teaching, the doctrine of the church, it's too rigid, it's too straight. Man, they're talking about don't drink, don't do this, don't run your... All they're talking about is what you can't do. I'm tired of that mess. I want to go to town and do things my way. I want to go and live how... And off they go. There's a reason coming back from COVID that the church in America has lost about more than half of her people. They've decided there's a better way. They had a couple years where they couldn't go and they decided, hey, this is pretty cool. I think I'll stay in the city. I think I'll stay in town. Maybe they had a desired acceptance. Maybe like a lot of people today, this young man thought it's cool to be in the city. It's not cool to be on the farm. It's not cool to be out here. Maybe he wanted to, his friends to like him. The way, maybe the way he was thinking is the only way I can make new friends, get my friends to really like me, is if I go to town and do like they do. I can't really impress my friends when I smell like the sheep. I'm going to go to town and impress my friends. I'm going to go do it their way. I'm more concerned about what they think than what my father thinks. That sound like a problem in our society today? A lot of people are way more concerned about what their neighbors think, what their co-workers think, than what their father thinks. Maybe. A lot of reasons, probably there's some more, we really put our mind to it, why this young man left. I don't know what he made, why he made his decision, but we do know the decision he makes, the conduct of this young man. Look at what he does. You know the story. Again, it's the most common story, probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Starting there in verse 13, it says, Not many days later, he gathered up his stuff, Took his journey for the far country, wasted his substance and with riotous living, and when he had spent all, then there come a famine. How'd you like to be in those shoes? Spent everything you got, and then there's a famine on top of that. And he began to be in want. Finally he joined himself and he went out to the fields to feed the pigs. He wasted his substance. Everything he had, he gave, he lost. He got, think about this statement. He got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. He got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. How many of us 
I can't begin to count the number of people in almost 40 years now of ministry that have done exactly what this man did. They've left off serving God. They've left off serving for any number of reasons, maybe some of the ones I mentioned a, bit, a minute ago, and actually wasted the best years of their life. We hear people make those statements, don't we? Well, I'm going to do what I want to right now, and then I'm going to live, and when I get old, then I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Then I'm going to get in church. There's a couple problems with that statement. One of them is, you're not promised to get old. You're not promised to make it there. And when you get there, you might be like this young man, and you might end up broke. I, again, another group of people that I, I can't even begin to number it, 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 are those who have came to me later in their life and, and brokenhearted and, and, and sad because they have come to the point in their life that are old enough now that they can look back over life and realize, man, I wish, oh, I wish I would have been serving God and doing those things when I was young and I had the energy and I had the ability instead of now when I can't hardly get up and go at all and I so desperately want to serve Him and I'm not able. You see His conduct. Listen, again, eventually sin takes its toll. Eventually, sin takes its toll. Debbie's sitting there. Debbie's a nurse. She'll tell you how many people she has seen who were 60, 70 years old who say, man, I wish I would have taken care of myself when, I was, when the doctor told me to when I was 30. And now it's too late. Same thing spiritually. You see, his conduct was explicit. He wanted something. Look at verse 14 again. I'm sure this young man, as he took his inheritance and he left home and he struck out going to the far country as it's described, he thought, man, I bet more than once. How many of you can picture this? As the young man started out of that house, on the way to the far country. I bet every now and then he reached in his pocket. <laughs> Man, I'm sick. He'd go a little further. Count that again. I've never seen that much money in his life. Yeah. First thing I'm going to do when I get to town is I'm going to get rid of these old ragged clothes and I'm going to get me a new suit and I'm going to get these new shoes. I'm going to get me a new camel. Man, I like it. I did have stopped on the way to the far country half a dozen times counting what he had, what he thought he had. Counting what he thought he had. Man, I'm not going to be wanting for anything. I don't got to go ask Daddy anymore if I can have this or that. I just peel off some of this. I'm good to go for the rest of my life. I'm set. Now he arrives there. 
and his family's gone, his future's gone, his friends are gone. Everything he had, his finances are gone, his food's gone, his family's in the land. He ain't got nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's wasted it all. But he wanted so much. He went somewhere. My way of thinking, the young man, here's the turning point in this passage. He began to be in want. How many of you have heard this statement? When the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, you change. People won't change until it hurts more to, to stay where you are than to change. This young man got to the point where he said, you know what? This stinks. Well, this is way worse than living at Daddy's house. This is terrible. He began to be in war. And he got to that point where he had to make a decision. Am I going to go home or am I going to stay here? Am I going to go home or am I going to keep feeding the pigs? Now, you know I think that there couldn't be a worse situation for a young Jewish boy to be in than to be having ten pigs. Pigs were unclean. Pigs, you know, they didn't eat pork. They didn't have nothing to do with pork. And here he is, tending the pork. Doesn't get much worse. He was as low as he possibly could. It was literally considered in the, in the time to be an abomination to be feeding the pigs. I mean, that, again, you, you couldn't get much worse. You couldn't get in much worse situation. Not only that, he was so low, he was having to think about it. Any of you ever been around the pig pen? Some of y'all know raised in the country. Head over there. You ever been around the pig pen? See, they've been around the pig pen. You ever seen how pigs live? Now, I know some of them don't live that way. We saw one the other day. We were sitting at the restaurant eating. We looked out the window. There's one walking around the backyard. People come to the door, open the door, let me in. Yeah. All of them don't live that way. If you, live with him, you leave him alone, I'm going to tell you where he's going. You clean him up, polish him up, paint his toenails, put a bow in his head. Leave him alone, he's going back to the mud. You ever seen what pigs eat? There's a reason they call it, what they call what, what they call what they feed pigs? Slop. If you ever seen it, you know why. Slop is a nice way to describe it. The young man is not only tending pigs, he's eating from the pig's plate. He's gotten to that point. He joined, notice this phrase, don't overlook this little phrase in this story. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. He has went from being his father's son, 
all the way down to the pig pen connected to a citizen of a far country. Again, if you know anything about Jews, you know that connecting up with a citizen of a far country, of another country, was just, oh, you don't get much lower. But it didn't take this young man too long. It wouldn't take me but one meal at the pig pen to figure out I gotta find me a new place to eat. We gotta pick us a better restaurant. You ever eat at a restaurant like that? We ain't coming here no more. I have eaten at them as I got up, been in them and got up and left for I eat. I took bread into some of them and I went in their kitchen and said, I won't ever come in here to eat. You wouldn't have to pass the buffet line at the pig pen once for me to figure, I have to do something. And the young man looked around and he said, you know what? Maybe daddy wasn't so bad after all. Maybe daddy wasn't quite as bad as I thought he was. Throw him a plate of slop down there. Boy, them meals at daddy's house, they didn't look as bad as they used to. They didn't look nowhere near as bad as they did one time. He found out how bad a taskmaster the devil is. He found out how bad life can be when you leave home. And you see his conviction. Look in verse 17. When he, I love that phrase. When he came to himself. When he came to himself, the conviction is exposed. He says, the servants at my daddy's house are living better than this mess. The servants at my daddy's house are not eating in the pig pen. I can do better. I'm going to gather up my junk and I'm going to go home and tell daddy I'll just be a servant at your house. I'm going to come home and I just want to be a servant. There's a realization. Verse 17. He came to realization that there was nowhere else to go. He tried it all. He tried money. He tried the big city. He tried everything. And he comes to a place where he realizes, I can either live with the halls or I can leave for home. That's my two choices. I can either live with the halls or I can leave for home. I can either feed with the pigs or I can feast with Papa. It got to be a real easy choice for him. Got to be a real easy decision. You know what? There's a lot of people who were in church, who were trying to serve the Lord, and they have wandered and strayed. There may be some sitting here this morning. You hadn't completely, you hadn't completely left the farm yet, but you've been sitting around on pencil and paper adding up how much your inheritance would be and wondering if there's a better way. Here's the bad thing about it. Most people don't come back until they hit absolute bottom. I posted this week on Facebook a thing from my daily devotion. And I may not quote it exactly right, 
Um, but it said this, you don't know how much you need Jesus until Jesus is all you need. Until you hit the rock bottom. Listen, there's a lot of people making a lot of bad decisions. They hadn't gotten to the bottom, the end of the rope yet. Notice in this verse, it says the young man come to the place where he was in want. He needed. He was hurting. He was with hunger, it says. We begin to get hunger. We begin to need. It's different. And he comes back to the Father. Notice his resolve. Verse 18. He says, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go home. I'm going to change. I'm tired of eating with the pigs. I'm tired of sleeping with the pigs. I'm tired of being hungry. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being dirty. I'm tired of being out here like this. I am going home. I'm changing. I'm not staying here anymore. And he begins to make plans to go home. He makes it. The first thing he had to do is he had to realize he needed home. I wonder today, how many of us are going to continue down the road, continue just wide open, foot on the gas, headed right straight to the pig pen, before we finally realize we need home. We need God. You see the repentance. I don't want to... Now, now let's, let's... This man has looked around, and he's looked at old... Uh, Patsy Pig over there, Arnold, that's all, that's what I was looking for. Arnold, somebody looking at me like I'm crazy, you know, I'm all left to remember the Green Acres. He looked at Arnold, he looked at the mess he was in, he looked at supper, and he said, beat the service, my daddy's house eat better than this. Man, I'm a mess in my life. This is terrible. It stinks, it's terrible, it's terrible. But you know what? He can say that till the proverbial pigs come home. But until he got up, got out of that pig pen, and went home, nothing really mattered. There are a lot of people today, maybe some in this room, who realize my life stinks. I'm in the pig pen. Some of you may be sitting here, and if you're honest, some of you here online, if you were honest, you may say, I'd have to clean up some to get to the pig pen. My life's so bad. I've made so many lousy decisions. And I know there's a better way. Obviously, you know there's a better way. You came to church. You tuned in online. You obviously know there's a better way. But until you get up and get yourself out of the pig pen, you're going to keep living with the pigs. This young man, wasn't nobody going to get him up and take him home. Wasn't a single one of them pigs going to throw him on his back and ride him home. This young man had to decide, I'm going home, get up, and walk right back down that same road, swallow his pride, and go home. Keep doing what you're doing, and you keep getting what you get. 
don't know who ever said that statement the first time, but that's a good thing. Put that one down. Keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you get. Never fails. He packed up his junk and he went home. And here's the beauty of the story. We come to a point where we see a compassion that is extraordinary. He goes home. He comes to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. You know what that tells me? That tells me every morning since that young man had left, that father got up and he put on his clothes, he ate his breakfast, and he went out and he stood on the porch and he watched with his son. He saw him and he was a great way off. The son didn't have to come knock on the door and say, Daddy, I'm home. That father was standing on the porch and he saw a shadowy figure off in the distance. Wonder who that could be. He watched it. Watched it a little closer. That shape looks familiar. Well, he kind of walks just a little bit like Jimmy. Yeah, I done gave him a name. He walks a little bit like Jimmy. Gathered up the grove like one of those soldiers and he tucked it in and old man off down the road he went. The needy boy. As soon as he saw it, as soon as he saw it, he headed off. Charles Spurgeon tells the story visiting one of his students one day who had just built a new church building, built a new facility. And up on the top, on the steeple, on the tower of the church, there was a, a weather vane. And the weather vane said on it, God is love. And Spurgeon looked up at it and he saw it and he was curious. He asked his student, he says, young man, do you think that God's love is as changeable as the wind? And the student looked back at, God, at, at, at Spurgeon and said, Oh no, Mr. Spurgeon. He said, What that means is it don't matter which way the wind is blowing. God is love. His father looked out and saw his son. It didn't make any difference where he went, what he had done how much of his inheritance he had spent, how much he had left. didn't matter that he smelled like the pig pen. It didn't matter that every other Jew in Israel would have considered him to be unclean. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and said, My son is home. My son is back. I want to real quickly think a few things about what this Father's love teaches us about the love of God. God's love is enduring. It didn't matter where he went and what he had done. Can you imagine the hurt of this father when his son came to him and said, I can't wait for you to die. Can I go ahead and have my inheritance? That's what he said. Let's be honest. I can't wait. I'm tired of waiting on you to die, old man. 
Well, the senor, we don't know how long that young man was gone, but his father never gave up. Every day he went out and he looked, he looked for his son. Love is expected every morning. When he got up, he said, today's the day. Today's the day my son's coming back. And when he comes, I'm going to be ready for him. You know the story, when the son gets home, the, young, the father says, go kill the fatted cow. I guarantee you that father every day had an eye on it. He already knew which cow he was going to kill to have supper when, that, when his father, he already had it picked out. He was already planning for his son to come home. He was already looking for him. Love excited. When the father saw him, he got so excited, he ran to him. He ran to him. Now let's be honest. Fathers, if that, you were that father, and that was your son, how many of you, when you saw him come, would go in the house? He was man enough to come ask me for the money. He could be man enough to come home and apologize. That's not even remotely like it could be possible in a lot of men's houses, a lot of men, a lot of, a lot of mamas too, man. He's big enough to come ask me for that money. You let him come in here and tell me he messed up. No. Love embracing. When his father had compassion, he ran to him and he got there. All he could do was he says he fell on his neck, put his arms around him. You know, have you ever thought about what this young man was thinking on the way home? He went into a far country, right? So it was a journey. You ever wonder how many times on the way home he stopped and went? Yeah, okay. And he probably went over and probably stopped and he thought. I bet he stopped a hundred times on the way home. Because he didn't know how it was going to be met. He had he, ruined his family's reputation. This was a shame on his family for him to do that. He had ruined his own reputation. He had dishonored himself. He left his family behind. But he gets home and we see the real picture of God's love. We see love enriching. When he got home, he was willing, he said, to live the rest of his life as a servant. He knew he'd messed up. But when he got home, his father restored him just like a son. Just like a son. A group of college students were on a bus from New York to Florida for the weekend. On that bus, there was a man who was there, he was in a plain old suit, didn't fit him very well, never moved, never spoke, never said much. He just sat there, they could tell he was nervous, chewing his lips, staring out the window. And finally the students just began, slowly began to introduce himself, and talk to him, and bring him out of his shell. 
as they talked to him, they learned that he'd been in prison for the last six years. And now he was finally going home. During that time, he'd had absolutely no contact with his wife. He knew it was very possible, if not likely, that she'd moved on. She'd married another man and forgot all about him and moved on. He told that group of students that the week before when he found out his parole was coming through, he'd wrote her a letter. First communication he'd had with her at all. He told her he'd be coming home on the bus. Told her when he'd be arriving, when he would be coming home. Didn't know if she wanted him back, but he told her if you do, and some of you are going to kind of recognize where this story's going. Told us that you tie a handkerchief out in the big oak tree in the front yard. And as the bus comes down the highway, I'll see that handkerchief. And I'll know. I'll know if I don't see a handkerchief, I'll know you don't want me back. I'll stay on the bus and I'll never bother you. You'll never hear from me again. He finished the story, he was only a few miles from home. And all the students on the bus were gathered around him, and they were about as anxious as he was. And they stood looking out, looking for that truth. As they came down the road, closer they got to his house, the quieter it got, the stiller it got. And then all of a sudden, the students jumping up out of their seats, screaming and hollering, as they come around the turn, they see that big tree. And there's not just one handkerchief hanging in that tree. It's covered. It's hanging full of handkerchiefs. Hundreds of them. Come on home. Come on home. Listen to me this morning. I know I took a long time to tell this story, but it's a long story. If you're away from home, if you've drifted away from God, maybe this young man didn't drift. He just packed up his junk and left. Maybe you've just made some bad decisions and walked away from God in your life. Come on home. Come on home. Don't wait till you're feeding the pigs. Don't wait till you're eating slop. Come on home. You're here today and you say, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm a believer. I know I'm a Christian. I know I've been saved. But I also know I've been off in the far country. You need to come this morning and kneel. Kneel at this altar. Say, Lord, I want to come home. I'm tired of living with the pigs. I just want to be in my father's house. Some of you here this morning, you've got a son, you've got a daughter, a brother, a sister, a friend, a loved one who is just like this prodigal son. You've watched and you've seen their life as they just went off into the far country 
And you're sitting back and you seemingly can't do anything. You're watching them living with the pigs. You need to come this morning and kneel at this altar. Lord, I want to lift up my son, my daughter, my loved one, my friend. God, I want to pray that you'll bring them home. God, I want to pray that you'll use me to do something, to say something, to draw them home. Back to you. Back to fellowship. Back to living in your will. You're here today and you don't know Christ. Come home. Come home. Get out of the pig pen. Get out of the pig pen. Christ died on the cross, shed his blood for you so that you didn't have to live in the pig pen. You could be the child of the king. That king that's coming that Tommy was singing about a while ago, you can be the child of that king if you'll ask Jesus into your heart. Bow with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for this great story that reminds us of where many of us go, how far we drift, how we wander. God, that you're constantly standing at the door, waiting and looking. And you had a hundred sheep, and one of them strayed. You went to find them. God, you want us to come home. God, there are people here today who have family, who have children, loved ones, friends, who have strayed, who have wandered, who have went off to the far country, and got their hearts broken. They see the decisions. They see where their child is going. They see how they're living their life. God, I join with them this morning as we pray that you touch the heart of that child, that he would see, she would see where they are and come home. God, do great things here today. Put you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
previous years. How many people have missed some purpose? Thank you. 